Well, this is the time of the year where leading up to Good Friday and Easter, that Christians traditionally take some time to focus on the events leading up to Jesus' death. And as you look through this, if you're a Christian or not, just as you look at the account of what Jesus did, it can bring up all sorts of emotions from you. It can bring up uh, feelings of celebration. It can bring up feelings of guilt, of remorse, of appreciation, of thankfulness, of pity, and of agony. All these emotions that this brings up, or as we're saying it in this series, the account of Jesus' death gives you all the feels. But so much more important than how you feel is how he felt in order to do all of that for you. So in this series, we're seeing how Jesus went through all the feels, all the emotions, all sorts of different feelings in the last week of his life leading up to his death and resurrection. If you missed parts one and two of the series, I encourage you to go online to our website, go onto our YouTube channel, go onto our podcast, um, catch up with those messages. Uh, Those will help give you a little bit of background about why it was so important for Jesus to go through all the feels. But what we want to get into today is to show you how Jesus uniquely felt overwhelmed. He felt overwhelmed. Now, to set this up and to kind of get you engaged a little bit, I'm going to share with you like a little illustration of what it means to be overwhelmed, not because you need the illustration, but I think it's just a way that we can all relate. And for me, the only way I can do this, a lot of this stuff is to draw from the well of my personal experiences. And let's be honest, in, in my season of life, most of my experiences are that I am a parent. So, another kid, that's my way of saying, here's another story about my kids. Uh, So, as you're a parent, and this is true of anyone, but parents especially, as you parent your children, there are different seasons of parenting. For example, there's that season where they actually let you come home from the hospital with this new living thing. And this living thing wakes up every two hours. So this is the season of sleeplessness where you just get that feeling, that physical, that emotional exhaustion of having to get up again and again and again. And this is like a season of your life. And for my life, I think it was like five or six years that we would categorize as the sleepless years between our three kids. And our third kid was especially bad with his sleeping. And I think that's why we stopped at three. Just a hard stop right at three. We're we're good to go. We needed some sleep again. Um, there's another season of, of parenting that's, uh, maybe you can think of it like this. It's a season of firsts. The first smile, which grandparents get way too excited about. Um, the first uh, crawling, first words, first word, first walking, uh, first everything, all, all these firsts that come, first time on the potty, celebrate. All sorts of firsts, and there's the season of firsts, and those firsts kind of get more and more spread out the older they get. But what I realized this last week, here's where I'm going with this, the season that Amy and I are in right now with our three kids is we're in a a season of questions. Here's putting it positively. We have three kids who are genuinely curious about the world around them at all times. The other side of that is they will not leave us alone for a single moment. There is question after question. I get home at night. Daddy, where were you? At a meeting. Well, who are you meeting with? Was Pastor Ben there? What did you talk about? Were you at the new building today? Did they paint some more of the walls? What color are they? What are they going to do next? When is the parking lot going to be done? I'm like, just stop a minute, man. 
I, I'm fine with three questions, rule of three. Three questions, I'm good, but you keep going infinitely. This is more like an interrogation. I don't put up with that. And this week, this week was my breaking point. I snapped. And as much as I get these questions, what became abundantly clear to me as I'm now like doing a home office kind of work thing, what became abundantly clear to me is that the majority of the interrogation goes to my wife, Amy. So I can see it. We're both in the kitchen. The kids are asking her questions. I can just see her blood pressure increasing. So I snapped. I lost it. And I made a new rule for my household. And feel free to borrow this. I made a new rule. I said, kids, every time you ask your mother a question, you need to start by telling her something first. Before you say anything, you need to say, Mommy, you're beautiful. Mommy, you're beautiful. What are we having for dinner? Mommy, you're beautiful. When is dinner? Mommy, you're beautiful. Do I have to eat dinner? (laughs) If you saw Amy in the first service and she was like glowing a little bit more than normal, there were plenty of words of affirmation for her this week. Now, some of you came into the room this morning genuinely overwhelmed in other areas of life, to the point where you would say, Matt, if the only thing you're overwhelmed about is some kids asking you questions, you've got it easy. Some of you came here overwhelmed with financial issues, where you go month to month, week to week, having to juggle and balance which bill needs to get paid first. And the burden of that each week is just becoming overwhelming wish my kids just asked me a bunch of questions. Some of you, there's a relationship issue going on where it's complicated the way it works out. Maybe it's a business partnership. Maybe it's a a household thing, but it's complicated, and you don't know how to reconcile things, and you're just overwhelmed thinking about the amount of energy it might take you to bring reconciliation to this relationship. You're overwhelmed. Some of you maybe are or recently were overwhelmed because of a hole that somebody else dug for you. By their actions and their decisions, they placed you into a situation where you were just overwhelmed and you had no idea what it would take to get out of that hole. Some of you are or have been in a hole of your own making. The decisions you made put you into a situation where you were overwhelmed. And now as you think back at your decisions and as you look forward at your future, you can't help but feel helplessly overwhelmed. And if that's you, if you brought some feelings of being overwhelmed into this room today, maybe the only thing you need to hear is this. There is hope. No matter the situation, there's hope because you have a God who understands what it's like to be overwhelmed. And you might pause and say, that doesn't make sense. How can God feel overwhelmed? Like, doesn't he have power to do anything? Doesn't he know everything? Isn't he everywhere at one time? We see all these attributes of God pile up to say that he's not overwhelmed by anything. But what I want to show you today is that in the final week of Jesus' life, he went through a moment, a very brief season, where he felt overwhelmed. 
To the point where I can tell you today, he knows what it's like for you to feel overwhelmed, but at the same time, the degree to which he felt overwhelmed is far greater than anything you will ever have to feel. And as we go through how Jesus reacted, when he felt overwhelmed with something, there were three things that stood out to me. These three things kind of repeat themselves throughout the section that we're about to look at. So I just want to give you the three things up front, and then we're going to kind of look at how they come into play. But the three things that Jesus did were this, and the three things that he would have you do as you feel overwhelmed are these three things. Number one, pause. And that's so hard to do sometimes because when you're overwhelmed, you feel like you need to do everything. But we're going to see that even when it's most difficult to pause and do nothing, your Savior, your, your Redeemer, he wants you to pause in that moment to do something important. And the second thing, pay attention. When you are overwhelmed, there's something you need to pay attention to that is very uncomfortable to pay attention to. And the third thing we'll see is that when you are overwhelmed, you should pray a prayer that is really risky and really scary. But as you go through these three things, your Savior walks with you to give you the guidance the attention, the love that you need. Now, as, as we look at this, this section, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 26. Here's the cool thing. Um, there are four guys that we have from the first century that all recorded Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all reference this account, but especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke get into the details. So we're going to look at Matthew's account. Uh, he provides most of, the, most of the information, a little bit more than the other two. But as we get into this, a little bit of context is necessary because in order to see why Jesus is so overwhelmed to begin with, you have to know what just happened in the previous section of Matthew 26. What just happened was Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal with his 12 disciples, but one of them, Judas, kind of left halfway through the meal um, to, to do some things. So 12 of them at the table at the Passover meal, and what happened was this. The Passover meal was supposed to be about remembering how God delivered the Israelite people from slavery in Egypt. God redeemed them through sacrifice of lamb, through the blood of lamb they were brought out of Egypt as a result of that final plague on the land. And the Passover meal was all about remembering that, but, 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 it was at this Passover meal that Jesus changed the script. He took the bread, broke it, gave thanks, and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. This is not a meal about remembering deliverance from the past. This is a meal now establishing a new promise and a new covenant that God would forgive sins through Jesus. And that was an amazing promise. It, it floored the guys when he made this promise to them at the table, which is kind of a pun because they ate on the floor. So they were floored, but they were reclined on the floor. Anyway, that's a pastor joke. They were amazed at this new promise, this new covenant that Jesus would make. But it's after this meal that Jesus begins to dwell on what forgiveness would cost. So we'll pick it up there. Matthew 26, the meal is over. 
They're leaving Jerusalem, and this is what happens. Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. This was an olive grove just outside of Jerusalem, and it would have had an olive press. So a pretty popular place, but it was uh, also a very uh, fruitful place. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. You, 11, sit here. I'm going to go over there. So just remember this. He was in Jerusalem with all the people and all the crowds. He needs to separate from all the crowds. Now he's with his 11. And now he even needs to separate from the 11. We're going to see why in just a moment. Next verse. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which would have been James and John, Zebedee's son, because they're sons of Zebedee. He took James and John along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. So away from Jerusalem, now there's the 11. Away from the 11, now there's just the three of them. And now Jesus began to pull back the curtains on his heart and say, I am troubled. I am sorrowful. It was in this moment we see him begin to become overwhelmed with something. In fact, he, he didn't leave anything out. He flat out told Peter, James, and John, he told them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. We say, I'm, I'm starving to death. Jesus was sorrowful to death. He was communicating that the sorrow he was feeling on the inside was so overwhelming that it was borderline killing him physically. It was eating him alive from the inside. So he said to them, I want you guys to stay here and keep watch with me. Now, guys in the room, we, we, when something is troubling us, it's not like we go to our buddy and say, hey, could you hang out for a while? Could you keep watch with me? Some of you might say that to some of your neighbors, but keep watch with me isn't something that we really say. But what the Greek word is getting at is uh, Jesus was telling his disciples, could you stay alert? Could you watch out? for things? Could you keep this on your radar? Could you just be there? I just need somebody there. And so he goes from Jerusalem to the small 11, from the 11 to the 3, and now from the 3, he even whittles it down further. Next verse. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed. One-on-one with his Father in heaven. Now, the reason this struck me is because I see him constantly acknowledging that there had to be uh, things that he was neglecting. He couldn't help all the people in Jerusalem that night. Imagine if you're Jesus walking the streets and people are like, heal my cousin. I don't even know, I don't even like my cousin, but could you heal my cousin, Jesus? He's just on the street. Or Jesus, could you please help this person? Could you help them? He had to neglect that for a moment because when you're overwhelmed, you have to neglect some things by choice. Then he moved on to the 11, moved on to the 3, finally just to the 1. Things or people will be neglected when you are overwhelmed. Either it happens by purpose or it happens by accident. When you're overwhelmed, you might have to neglect certain people in your life, not because you hate them, but because there's something of a higher priority that needs to be addressed. And there may be some things in your life that you have to set off to the side for a while to neglect because there are more important things. 
to look into. Being overwhelmed means you will neglect, and Jesus would offer to you the, 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 the advice, the, the command, you need to know what you are neglecting. Something will be neglected. You need to press pause in that moment and prioritize what is most important. Number one on your sheet, when you are overwhelmed, pause to narrow your focus. Pause to make the main thing the main thing. And what Jesus made the main thing should also be our main thing. Whittling it down to our closest needs, our closest priorities, but then even further, to spend that moment with God himself. He is the priority. Even in his moment where everything was overwhelming, Jesus paused to create those different groups and to finally just spend some time alone with his Father in heaven. And the reason why that was so important to pause is because of what we're about to see next. Now, some of us in the room, pausing is really, really hard to do because you're the go-getter type and you just have, if you feel overwhelmed, like you thrive on that. You just want to keep going and going and going until you're not overwhelmed anymore. But some of us in the room are the opposite, where once you feel overwhelmed, that's it. You don't press the pause button, VCR reference, okay, just bear with me. You're not pressing the pause button, you're pressing the stop button. And everything just has to stop, you feel overwhelmed, and you can't deal with it, so you just shut it out of your mind. And what Jesus says next helps to clarify what value there is when you can pause to narrow your focus and when you can pause to prioritize what should be neglected and what needs to be addressed. He goes on a little bit further, so this is what he prayed. He he goes on a little bit farther. He fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, pay attention to the words, if it is possible, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And we don't really use terms like that in the English language anymore, you know, like um, drinking the cup placed before you. That was a really common Hebrew reference. Uh, What we do today is we often talk in terms of playing the hand that you are dealt. Well, this is the hand I was dealt in life. I just have to play the hand I'm dealt. And so basically what Jesus was saying is, Father, If we can just go ahead and fold what I'm holding and get dealt some new cards, could we please do that? If I can get around this whole suffering and death thing, could we pursue that angle? But not as I will, as you will. And here in this moment, what I love about this, it's not that Jesus is always just some hero kind of martyr who's there to save the day and has this, you know, Chuck Norris type, just conquer anything. He is acknowledging in this moment that he is going through all the feels. He's overwhelmed, as any human being would be. He did not cheapen the experience by holding on to his power or his wisdom or his ability to do anything. He he didn't cheapen his humanity. He went through all the feels, including being overwhelmed. But he was overwhelmed to a degree that you and I would not have to be. You see, the reason why he is so, so sorrowful about this is because he realizes that the cost of forgiveness for the world is so much more than just dying. All of the sin and the punishment it deserved would be funneled 
onto him. Imagine being punished as you rightly deserve to be for your sins by God, but then imagine the punishment that all mankind deserves, and that's all on you. There was not just a physical torment to his death, there was a spiritual torment to the point where he said, Father, if you could deal me some new cards, could we do that? He needed his father, but he also needed the help of his friends. So he goes back to Peter, James, John. He returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Now, I get it, a couple things. Passover meal, imagine Thanksgiving, okay? And you just had a Thanksgiving meal, and now it's evening, and hey, stay awake with me. Okay, yeah, good luck with that. And then together with the Passover meal, there's four cups of wine that would be part of the meal, so there's, there's that part to it. And also, Luke, as he describes this, this um account, he also adds that the disciples knew something was up. They too were troubled and sorrowful. They were being emotionally drained. But they decided to press stop. They sought the escape that only sleep could provide. So Jesus said, couldn't you men keep watch with me for just one hour? He said to Peter, but by his words, we know he was addressing the entire group. Could you not just stay awake and be with me for one hour? Not only was he overwhelmed, he was overwhelmed and alone. But there was something more here. You see, Jesus wanted them to understand too when they feel overwhelmed, and by extension, when we today feel overwhelmed, there is so much importance to why we need to pause to focus, but also what we need to pay attention to. He goes on in verse 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Talking to the disciples, watch and pray, watch and pray. Temptation is waiting for you. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Perhaps looking especially at Peter, Peter, Jesus told Peter, hey, you're going to deny me by the time, you know, the rooster crows, and Peter's like, I'll I'll never deny you. I'm going to die with you if I have to. And Jesus is saying, you got a good spirit, you got good intentions, but you're not able to do what you think you can do. Peter, you are about to be overwhelmed. And in that moment, you'll realize that you can't do what you want to do. Which brings me to to something I think we need to apply to this day. Being overwhelmed is your cue that there's something you can't do. The reason you're overwhelmed in the first place is because you can't make money magically appear in your checking account. If you could, You wouldn't feel overwhelmed by the bills. The reason why you feel overwhelmed is because you can't change that person's health or you can't change your health. And because you can't do that, you feel overwhelmed by some of the decisions or steps that you need to make. The reason you feel overwhelmed is because you can't control your relationship with someone. You can't make them see things the way you do and you can't make you see things the way they do. When you feel overwhelmed, that should be your cue to realize There are some things you cannot do. It's beyond your power. Your intention is good, but as long as you live in a sinful world and as long as you're a sinful person, you will inevitably be overwhelmed. So number two on your sheet, pay attention to your weakness. Pay attention to your weakness. When you're overwhelmed, it might be your default to to focus on how strong you are and strength, how much strength you have, But Jesus would encourage you, when you feel overwhelmed, 
would you first acknowledge your weakness? If you were all powerful like God, you would not be overwhelmed, but you are not God, and therefore you need God. Acknowledge your weakness. Pay attention to your weakness. So pause, pay. And in the next step, the third and final thing we're going to see Jesus do is pray. We're going to look on that a little bit. He goes on. Uh, He went away a second time. And the prayer changes a little bit the second time. He said, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. First time, if it's possible to not do this, can we not do this? Second time, if it's not possible to go around it, so be it. Now the first response, or the first prayer, was by no means a bad one or a sinful one. It was just a real one, and it acknowledged the humanity that Jesus had. And when you bring your weakness to God and say, God, if I could get some new cards here, that'd be great. I don't like these cards. Your Father in Heaven wants to hear that. And maybe He'll deal you some new ones, but maybe He'll provide you with clarity about what to do with the ones you have. As Jesus submitted himself to his Father's will in heaven, we see this amazing thing happening. First of all, he was always in line with accomplishing the salvation that his Father wanted him to accomplish. But we see in Jesus' own words a slight shift, a slight shaping of how he approached it. Father, if there is no possibility, then so be it. Your will be done. See, when you get overwhelmed, that should be your cue that there's something you can't do. But here's the thing for you and for me. Your life isn't about what you can do. That is not the purpose for which Jesus redeemed you from sin and death. Your life is about what God can do. While Jesus was about what he could do and only he could do as the Savior of the world, your life isn't reduced to simply what you can do. And so when that moment comes and you feel overwhelmed and your finances are tight or your health is in question or things just aren't working and you feel overwhelmed, remember, that's your cue. There's something you can't do. But then remember, your life isn't about what you can do. Perhaps there is a higher purpose to the story that you are living out right now. That brings in number three. As you pray, as you set forth your concerns and your overwhelming stuff before God, would you pray for a higher purpose behind it? To say, you know what, God, this is really a bitter cup that I have before me. Could we exchange it? These cards, I can't play anything with these cards. Can we just change them? But if not, would you use this for your purpose? Maybe there's something bigger than my comfort here. Maybe there's something bigger than my prosperity here. Maybe you're using this to shape me. Maybe you're using this to shape the world. I don't know, God. But would you use my situation for a higher purpose? And as you do that, here's the closing thought. You want to pause. You want to pay attention. And you need to pray. But then, perhaps the most important, would you move past the pause? Would you press play again and trust God to help you take those next steps? Here's what it looked like for Jesus. He returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? You guys are not keeping watch with me. You're not in it with me. Fine. 
Verse 25. Look, the hour has come. So much of his ministry, Jesus was preaching to people, the kingdom of God is coming, the kingdom of God is coming. Now he says, the hour has come. The kingdom of God is here. The work I need to do is here. The the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. The people whom he came to redeem are now about to put him to death. Rise, let us go. He didn't say, rise, let's go the other direction. Rise, let's cross the border to where it's safer. He says, nope, this is the cup. He pressed play again and he confronted the ones who would crucify him. Here comes my betrayer. And he endured that because he knew there was a purpose behind it, a higher purpose, and that purpose was for you. Jesus went through all the fields. He felt overwhelmed in a way that you will never have to be. So here's my closing question. When you came in the doors this morning, what were you feeling overwhelmed with? Is there a certain situation in your life right now where this kind of piques your interest or it raises some flags because you realize maybe you've been overwhelmed by something and you need to address it or you need to go about it differently? What is it? The amazing thing I I think about, finally, is is this. (laughs) Anything that I find overwhelming is so trivial compared to what Jesus did. I complain about my kids asking me questions. (laughs) But Jesus was being interrogated for his very life. We find reasons to stress about money and bills when Jesus himself said, don't worry, life is about so much more than paying bills. We worry about relationships, but Jesus says, why are you worried about that? Just forgive, just forgive, as I have forgiven you. What's amazing to me is that the things we get overwhelmed with are so trivial in comparison to what Jesus was overwhelmed with. And yet, here is what he wants you to walk away with today. You see, any any time you and I feel overwhelmed, it's because we live in a world of sin, or it's because of a sin we have committed, it's because of a sin someone else has committed. It's just our product of sin. And Jesus came to forgive sin. Which means, any time you feel overwhelmed, Jesus wants to be brought into that. No matter how trivial, no matter how light it might seem, you have a Savior who knows what it feels like to be overwhelmed. And he alone knows how to give you the strength to endure it and to find God's purpose in it. Let's close today with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, it's amazing to think about the sorrow and sadness Jesus had to face as he was anticipating the full brunt of your punishment against mankind's sins and the sorrow, the anguish, the sweat that fell from his brow as as he was praying to you. An amazing sorrow overwhelmed him, and yet he endured it and embraced it as part of your will for him. I thank you today that as we look at the way he conquered this feeling of being overwhelmed, we we don't see it first as an example that we should follow, but we see this as our Savior at work, fulfilling everything that we could not, remaining faithful and submissive to you, Father, even in a moment when he wanted to run. Thank you for his obedience on our behalf. And then after that, I, I pray that you would even use these 
things that Jesus did to pause and to pay attention and to pray, that we would use those as tools then to bring him in to the seasons and the times of life when we might feel overwhelmed. How amazing that your promise goes with us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name for all those who are here or who are listening. And we now join together in the prayer that Jesus prayed.